If you'll turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 7 through 19 this Lord's Day as we continue to walk through the book of Hebrews together. If you've been with us, hopefully it is clear to you now what the writer of Hebrews has been establishing in these first few chapters, that Jesus is foundationally greater, he is the final revelation from God, he's greater than the angels, Uh, the writer tells us in Hebrews 3 how Jesus is greater than Moses, and so because of the greatness and the supremacy of Christ, he, he warns us then not to neglect the great salvation that Jesus offers us, to, to place our faith and our hope to, to obey, to, to be committed, to hold fast to this faith we have in Jesus Christ. And so last Lord's Day, as we looked at the beginning of chapter 3, we ended on that note in verse 6 that we're to hold fast to our faith, where we're to stand firm in it. And now comes a warning to those who don't hold fast, a warning to what happens when we don't persevere, a warning against hardening our hearts. And so we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19, and at a reverence for the Holy Word of God, if you're able to, if you would stand as I read the text for us. This is God's Word to us today, and this is what it says. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for forty years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed... We hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was He provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. You would pray with me. Lord, we have before us in your word today a warning. And so I pray we would heed it. I ask, Lord, that through the the power of the Spirit, and Lord, just through Your grace to us, that You would help us to to hear it, to see it, to believe it, to respond to it, and Lord, to warn others, to hold fast, to hold firm, to be rooted in the Gospel of Jesus. Lord, there is the real possibility that exists as we see in Your Word today that our hearts can be hardened towards You. 
But Lord, we pray you would soften our hearts that we might trust and that we might obey. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Just a few months ago, there was a a headline that caught my attention. Perhaps it caught yours. It was in relation to recent deaths at the Grand Canyon. The title of this article cited how four people had died within a period of just a few weeks. Uh, It began on March 26th when the body of a Japanese tourist was discovered there at the Grand Canyon. It continued a couple of days later when a male tourist from China fell hundreds of feet into the canyon while taking photos at the edge. That continued then on April 3rd when a 67-year-old man from California died after falling from the edge of the canyon. And then a 70-year-old woman fell to her death on April 23rd. And so this article posed the question, why why is the Grand Canyon so dangerous? Why so many deaths within just a few weeks? And so as the writer of this article did their research, they found it, it wasn't for a lack of warning. It wasn't for a lack of signs posted. In fact, they, they interviewed the park rangers who said daily they go out and they just go and give verbal warnings to people to be careful that it's a dangerous place to heed these signs and these postings and these warnings. And yet, what they found with those whose lives were lost and with so many who had been lost before them is that these people were ignoring the warnings. They were ignoring the signs. They were literally walking past the barriers and they were falling to their death. This is a sad reality of what we see so often, that there are warnings, there are indicators, but many times we just flat out ignore the warnings. And none of those is more dangerous than the warning that we see the writer of Hebrews giving to the people in chapter 3. The warning that if we're not careful, if we don't take care, that that we can actually become hard-hearted towards God, hard-hearted towards His Word, to the point where we will not enter into the rest of God. He has given a warning to us. The question is, will we heed that warning and will we listen to it? And so I want us to consider this as we walk through this passage today. First, by taking a look at, at what this warning is, what it means to have a, a heart that is hardened, how our hearts might become hardened towards God, and then what the, the end result of that hard-heartedness is, what it means, what, what will happen as a result. And so we'll begin there in verse 7 with that first point in your outline. We see that our hearts are hardened when we stop listening to God's Word. We become hard-hearted when we stop listening to the Word of God. And notice how the writer begins there in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. Now we're reminded that at the very beginning of this passage that, that all Scripture is God's Word. He says, as the Holy Spirit says. And then he quotes from Psalm 95. And so if you go back to Psalm 95, you find that it's a a psalm that that doesn't have an author attributed in the psalm to it. It doesn't say a psalm of David. And yet when we come to Hebrews, specifically in the next chapter, chapter 4, 
we find the writer of Hebrews attributing Psalm 95 to David. And so these are words that David wrote, but notice what the writer here says. He doesn't say, as David says, as David wrote. He says, as the Holy Spirit says. See, this is the word of God. And not that was said, but that he said. This is the word of God that is living and active for us today. And it's a reminder to us of that all-important truth, 2 Timothy 3.16, that, that all Scripture is breathed out by God. 2 Peter 1.21, that Scriptures come to us through men, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So why is this important? It's important because we need to understand that, that all Scripture is God's Word to us. It is God's revelation to us. It is God speaking to us. Therefore, we need to listen to it. And we need to be careful to heed what God says to us in His Word. And if we are not, if we find ourselves in a particular place in the Word where we just choose not to listen to its instruction, not to listen to what God says, well, then we see this process of hardening begins. Verse 7, he says, quoting from the psalm, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So that word harden means to become unyielding, to become stubborn, to, to become stiff-necked. What does that look like? Well, then he, he gives us an example of what that looks like. It's what David talks about in Psalm 95. He, he recounts, the people of Israel during the Exodus. And we spent some time studying Exodus, and hopefully you saw in that time, and even if you weren't with us in that study, hopefully you know that, that the story of the Exodus is just a story of the stubbornness of God's people. It's a picture of the faithfulness of God to, to a faithless people, to a people who constantly question Him and grumble against Him and don't believe Him and don't trust Him. And yet God is faithful to deliver this stubborn, rebellious people. And so this psalm recounts that process of rebellion, that process of stubbornness, that hard-heartedness. And what we see there in the Exodus is what we see throughout the Word of God is that that, that, that hard-heartedness, it begins with doubting the Word. It begins when we hear the Word, but we begin to question the Word. And so we see it all the way back in the garden. In the garden, God gives specific instruction to Adam and Eve. He tells them if they obey, they will be blessed, and if they disobey, they will be cursed. And then we see that temptation comes to them in the garden. And what is that temptation? The temptation is, did God really say? And that's important. It's important for us to recognize the temptation was not, well, God didn't say that. Well, God didn't. He, he didn't ever say that. That's not really God's word. No, it was to take the word of God and to question it. Did, did God really say that? Was that really the intention of what he said? There was a warning God had given. If you obey me, you will be blessed. If you disobey me, you will be cursed. And Adam and Eve ignored that warning. And they and we were cursed. And we see this 
this trend. We see this pattern continue then in the Exodus. God gives his people a warning as he delivers them out of Egypt, as he brings them out of the land of slavery, as he takes them to the prom- towards the promised land. He, he tells them, if you obey me, you will be blessed. If you disobey me, you will be cursed. And we see from the very beginning, they question God, and they grumble against God, and they don't listen to God. In fact, as you go to Psalm 95, and as we read there at the beginning of our service, you see that what, what's cited here, this, this reference here, is very early in the Exodus. After God has delivered His people and He's brought all these plagues against the Egyptians and, and He's provided for them by bringing bread down from heaven, we find them not thanking God, not praising God, but complaining against God. That they don't have water. And so they're, they're complaining, they're, they're grumbling. This is where at Meribah, God gives the water through the rock. He, he shows He is the provider. But it wasn't in response to the great faith of the people. We see that the people lacked faith. They, they grumbled and they complained, and that grumbling and that complaining and that disobedience did not end there at the rock at Meribah. But the psalmist here talks about how they, they weren't able to enter into God's rest. Ultimately, he shows us that it wasn't just Moses who didn't go into the promised land. If you remember, it's God's people journeying to the land of promise, and as they come there to it, they, they send in spies to spy out the land, and when the spies return, the people are scared. Again, they're questioning if God is good. They're questioning the provision of God, and they determine that they cannot go into that land, all but a couple of them. And so what does God do? God curses them for their disobedience, and he says they will not enter into that land of rest. And he has people wander until that generation dies off, and then their children are able to go in. And so we see this this picture given to us from Psalm 95 that shows us how that hard-heartedness, it begins with failing to listen to God's Word and failing to trust what God's Word says. And it's significant here that, that he focuses on listening. See, all of us listen to something. All of us listen to someone. He says here today, if you hear His voice, again, we, we looked earlier, and just a few verses ago, that, that heavenly calling, that, that voice from heaven, if we hear God's voice through His Word, we are to respond to it. And yet we see that our response isn't always one of obedience and trust. Our response can be one of disobedience. We also see that we can be tempted to listen to other voices. In fact, God's Word warns us of this. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And we see that is the day we live in today, friends. That there is no shortage of false teachers who will tell us what we want to hear. Who will scratch our itching ears. Who will tell us that which suits our passions. Not that which calls us to repentance and to faith. And who will challenge that the very foundation of God's Word in Genesis chapter 1. 
In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we read, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And yet, look at the confusion in our culture today, just in regards to Genesis 1, 27. And the temptation there in our culture is not, well, well just don't believe in God. Ignore what God says here. No, the temptation is you can find people who will twist the Scripture and will ignore the Scripture and will say to you what you want to hear. Did God really say male and female He created them? I mean, God's a God of love and and certainly God would want you to do whatever pleases you most and... And so your identity doesn't need to be rooted in your biological maleness or femaleness. It can be rooted in whatever pleases you and whatever it is you desire, however you feel. That did God really say? You continue in Genesis, Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and that shall become one flesh. We have here foundationally God's design for fruitfulness in relationships, in human flourishing. A man and a woman come together in a covenant of marriage, and then they become one flesh. And yet look at how the culture has twisted and turned against that. Look at how many in the church have rebelled against that. And so often it's done in the context of, did did God really say that? Is that really what God meant? I mean, surely what's most important is that you just love someone. God wants you to be happy, doesn't he? Did God really mean that? And so we find very quickly that it may not be God's word foundationally that we're listening to. It may be the desires of our own heart. It may be the false teaching that surrounds us in our culture today. And when we stop listening to the word and obeying the word, then we see... That it's not the scripture that has our word, it's the culture. And that leads us towards a hardness of our heart. We see it continues then in point two. Our hearts are hardened when we stop believing God's word. And so on one hand we have those who who don't listen to it, they they twist it, they malign it. Well did God really say that? But then that quickly leads us to a point where we we hear it and we just say, well I just don't believe it. I'm not going to do what it says. That's antiquated, that's old-fashioned. I don't even know if I can trust that. Did God really say that? I don't even know. I'm just not going to pay attention to that. I'm not going to believe that. So give this example of Psalm 95 of the people in the wilderness. And then as a result of that, he says, here's the application in verse 12. So verse 12, take care, brothers. At least there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So he says very clearly, look at what the Israelites did during the Exodus. Now you take care and don't do that thing. Don't do what they did. And he says that there may be in some of you, he says brothers, brethren, brothers and sisters, but he said there, there may be some of you brothers who aren't really brothers. That there may be in some of you an evil, unbelieving heart and it will lead you to fall away. Reminds us of what we read in 1 John 2.19. They went out from us because they were never of us. If they'd been of us, they would have stayed, but they left. Why should it become evident? They didn't persevere. They didn't endure. 
And what leads to that falling away, that, that moving away, that, that deception of sin, it, it's this disobedience to the Word, not believing the Word, and, and that hardness of the heart. And so again, he points to the Israelites. They didn't listen to the Word. They, they didn't believe the Word. They, they moved from saying, did God really say, to I don't care what God says. And notice what the writer here says. He says, take care. That that phrase literally means, open up your eyes and see. And so notice the, the senses he's mentioned here. First, if, if you hear God's word, listen to it. And now he says, now, as you're listening, open up your eyes and, and see it. But believe it. Do what God says. Least there be in you an unbelieving, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. We're reminded here by the writer that both belief and unbelief lead us somewhere. We see throughout the scripture that belief leads us to many things. For example, belief is what leads us to salvation. Romans chapter 10 verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So how are we saved? We, we confess that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. That, that belief leads to salvation. Belief takes us somewhere. We see in Romans 15, 13 that, that belief leads us to joy and peace and it, it gives us hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. It is through this belief that we can have hope. It's through this belief that we can have joy. Through this belief that we can have peace. Our faith in Jesus is rooted in belief. Paul writes to the Galatians in Galatians 3.22, the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And so we, we see here laid out for us in the Scripture that, that belief leads us somewhere. And just as belief leads us somewhere, unbelief leads us somewhere. It's not just the absence of believing. It's not just a neutral position we take. No, we are either believing and moving one direction or we are not believing and we're moving another direction. And so the writer of Hebrews here says, an unbelieving heart will lead us to fall away from the living God. That there's no standing still here. We're either walking with God or we are walking away from God, according to the word. Belief and unbelief take us somewhere. And so we see here that our hearts are hardened when we stop believing the word. It says we fall away. That literally means we depart. We, we walk away. And how does that happen? Notice the emphasis here on the heart. An evil, unbelieving heart leads us to fall away. And consider, with that verse in mind, what the world and the culture says to us about the heart. Follow your heart. I have yet to walk into a store and see a decorative plaque that said, follow your evil, unbelieving heart. No, follow your heart. 
Your heart will lead you. Your heart will guide you. Your heart will bring you hope and joy and peace. That's what the culture says. But notice how the Word portrays the heart. What the Word tells us about the heart. You Consider the warning from Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10. Concerning the heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah goes on to say, the Lord can, the Lord does, but but you and I, we, we are deceived by our heart. It will lead us astray. And the writer here warns us that, that it will lead us to unbelief that it is wicked and it is evil apart from a saving knowledge of Christ, apart from repentance in Christ, apart from Christ giving us a new heart that then leads us to belief. But when we don't believe, we see that we are led away. We, we fall away. And so the warning here is, much like you might consider that, that warning at the Grand Canyon, that there are signs posted along the path that say to us from God's Word, do not follow your heart. And yet we walk down those paths. We, we romanticize decisions. We, we look to the culture, this, this picture that draws us in. That the path is wide and we walk down it and it leads to destruction. And all along the way we see Jeremiah 17. Your heart's deceitful, don't trust it. We see Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. But we walk past those warnings and we walk with the crowd and we walk off the edge. And the writer here warns us, stop, consider, listen, hear, see what it is God is saying. Ask us, do we believe God's word? Are we listening to it? Do we actually believe it? And if not, then our hearts are being hardened against it and against God. In point three, we see our hearts are hardened then when we stop gathering with God's people and listening to godly counsel. And so the writer here says, listen to God's Word, open up your eyes and believe God's Word. And then the writer says, encourage one another with God's Word. And he says we are to exhort one another. Every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. God's desire is that we would not be hardened, and so He has given us a gift, and that gift is one another. That gift is the body of Christ. That that gift is the gathering of the brethren. He says we are to come together and we are to exhort. That, that word literally means we are to call someone over to us and we are to encourage them. We, we are to urge them. We are to put our arm around them. We are to warn them. And they are to warn us. Now ask these questions. Are you listening to the Word of God right now? Do, do you believe the Word of God? And to speak the truth in love and to say that the actions of your life would indicate that you aren't listening to the Word, that you aren't believing the Word, and that you're about to fall away from God. And because I love you, I'm your brother, I'm your sister, I want to encourage you to come back. Now that's the 
encouragement we're given here from the Word. We, we are to be a Word-centered people. Our gathering is not to be foundationally based in our preferences, in our opinions. It is to be based in the holy, true, enduring Word of God. And that is what it is that brings us together, friends. And that's what it is that we're to be founded on. We, we don't come to have our ears tickled. We, we don't come to have our passion suited. We, we don't come to have our sin affirmed. We, we come to exhort one another. When? As long as it's called today. <laughs> do, do you see the emphasis there? Now, not tomorrow, not the next day. We're, we're to exhort one another as long as it's called today. Maybe you've had a situation in your life where you, you have felt the need to exhort another, to rebuke another, to call another one out in their sin, just, just to lovingly pull them aside and, and express your concern for them. And what is our temptation in those times? It's to put it off. <laughs> it's to put those uncomfortable conversations off till tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Well, today's just not a good day. Well, this just wasn't the right time. And what we inevitably do is we continue to put it off so that those conversations never come. And all the while, that person's getting deeper and deeper and deeper rooted into their sin. And then it gets to a point where we just kind of throw in the towel. Well, they're not going to listen to me now. Or where we lose that opportunity because in their sin, they, they don't gather with us anymore. The writer says, as long as it is today, take every opportunity we have to encourage one another in the Word to confront one another lovingly on sin, to call people back into obedience to the Word. Why? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So, so we see this, this deceit move in when we stop gathering with the people, when we stop listening to the counsel of the people, then we are easily deceived by sin. This is the end result of not listening to the Word, not believing the Word, and pulling away from those who listen to it and who believe it. We are then in deception. Because we're not in a Word-centered environment. We put ourselves in a world-centered environment. And the world will tell you exactly what you want to hear. The world will scratch your itching ears all day long. The world will give you teachers that suit your passion. The writer here gives us a warning against that. And he says we need to gather with the people, we need to listen to the counsel we give one another so that we won't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin in its very nature is deception. I've had so many conversations with people who are being deceived in their sin. And the reality when you're deceived is you don't want to think you're being deceived. And what does it mean to be deceived? It means to believe in something that's not true. And so people will stake their lives on that which is deceiving them and they will walk down this path of deception all the while thinking there's this promise at the end of the rainbow that's going to come true for them. And it doesn't. Why? Because it's sin and it's deceit. And God did not design us to be filled ultimately by sin. But fullness in life comes through obedience to the Word. And yet there is a world around us that is screaming out to us so much deception 
so many lies to pull us in the opposite direction of God's Word. I've said it before, sin always takes us farther than we ever intended to go, and it costs us more than we ever thought we would pay. Sin has a miserable return. Sin might dangle out in front of us. No payments for six months. Zero percent. And then as soon as we sign the dotted line, we read the fine print. Oh, no, actually, it's 500% interest compounded daily. It's a false bill of goods. And in the beginning, what do we see in the garden? Deception. And that is what sin does in our life. And it will wreak havoc in the sad truth of it is so many of us are running towards the lies and putting our hope and our trust in the lies being deceived by sin sin tells us that there's something better for us than listening to god's word that there's something better and more pleasing for us than obedience to god's word and this deception doesn't just pounce on us it's subtle it's alluring. That's the picture that James gives us. In James chapter 1, James uses fishing language here. Of bait pulling in the prey. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his desire. And then that desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So do not be deceived my beloved brothers, that there's this picture of sin just kind of dangling the bait out in front of us. And we are prone to bite. And what we desperately need, according to the writer of Hebrews here, according to the Word of God, is we need the body of Christ to surround us and say, don't bite that. Don't go after that. We need people who are scarred by the road of sin they once walked, to say to us, let me show you the devastation and destruction that will come in your life if you walk that path. We need brothers and sisters who will be bold enough and loving enough to say to us and to to risk offending us, you are making a bad, sinful decision. And you are walking not according to the Word, but according to this world. Your heart is being hardened towards the things of God. You want to know an indicator of a hard heart? Ask yourself this question. How do you respond when someone confronts you? I think the propensity of our heart is towards hardness. It's towards callousness. How do you respond when someone confronts you? I mean, just pick anything in your life. Have you ever been, if you're married in this room, you've been confronted on something. And is your initial response, thank you, dear spouse, for shedding this truth into my life. Thank you for correcting me. I can only imagine how terrible it would be had I not listened to your counsel. No, how do we respond? We get defensive, don't we? We we push back. Well, well, who are you? Well, yeah, but you. Well, let me point out some things that you did. A good friend loves us enough to, to say to us, to, to warn us that this relationship you're in 
that this is not pleasing God, this is sinful, be careful, move away from it. This, this behavior in your life, this, this is sinful, move away from it, take, take heed. And how do we so often respond? Well, who are you to tell me this? What, what gives you the right? I don't need judgmental people in my life. The propensity of our heart is towards this hardness. And what we need to wake up to and realize is that this hardness will lead us to fall away from God and ultimately to not enter into God's rest. And that's the warning here from Hebrews. Point four, that the hard-hearted will not enter into God's rest. So, so if we follow this path of not listening to God, not believing God, not listening to the people of God, turning away from them, removing ourselves from the fellowship, then, then the warning from the writer of Hebrews, from the Word of God is this, we will not enter into the rest of God. He, he takes us back to the Israelites, back to the Exodus, and he shows us who, who, who are these people that I'm talking about, that these are the Israelites, and this was the Exodus, and, and they heard the word of God, and they did not obey it. Now, note what he says here, verse 16. Who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And so he says, who is it that didn't rebel, who didn't listen? It's the people who initially listened. He points to initial obedience in the life of the disobedient. Who are these people that rebelled? They're the people that initially, that they left Egypt. Who initially trusted God. And yet, soon into that journey, we find them disobedient. And ultimately, we find them not entering into God's rest. So, so God's Word here warns us that, that a good beginning doesn't secure a good ending. And yet, we're surrounded in our culture today by this thought, well, no, well, as long as they were okay there in the beginning, they'll be fine. Notice how often the writer of Hebrews gives this warning to us about enduring to the end, holding fast to the end. Now, this is delicate ground, but please listen here. We as Baptists, we... We are rooted in once saved, always saved. But that can be deceiving. Because if by once saved, always saved, we're implying that once we make this decision, irregardless to how we live our lives, we are always saved. Well, that's not what the Scripture teaches. In fact, hear the warning over and over from Hebrews here. Someone is always saved once they are genuinely saved. And how do we know they are genuinely saved? Because they live always as if they are saved. They persevere to the end. They endure to the end. They hold firm to the faith. Look around, friends. Who's not here anymore? We're not to have any rest or confidence or even hope from the Scripture that they're okay. And yet so often we fool ourselves and deceive ourselves into saying, well, no, they're fine. You know, I, I remember how committed they were when they were a teenager. And, and then the writer of Hebrews says, look, exhibit A, the Israelites who obeyed and left Egypt. And then what happened? 
They never got to enter into the rest of God. They never got to enter into the promised land. But I can't help but think what their funerals would look like in the Christian culture of today. You know, Mr. Smith was the first one to put the blood of the Lamb over his doorpost. I remember that, man. I remember that day. People were scared and they were nervous, but Mr. Smith, he was out there saying, we've got to trust the Lord here, boys. Now, I recall as, as we were journeying through the wilderness together, he was, the, he was the one, I believe, his family gave the most gold to go towards the building of the tabernacle. We wanted to name a wing after him, but he didn't have room for that. God's instruction. And yet so often, Mr. Smith hasn't come to church in the last 20 or 30 years. Absolutely no indication or fruit of his faith for decades. And so what do we do? We, we talk about those early days as if there's some type of security there. But note the warning here. Who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt led by Moses? Wasn't it those who started well? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Who, who did God put his wrath against? Was it not with those who sinned and whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Well, that sounds harsh. Friends, that's gospel. The wages of sin is death. Every person in this room, we, we deserve for our bodies to fall in the wilderness because of our sin. And whom did God swear that they would not enter His rest? But to those who were disobedient, so we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Friends, I pray. I have asked God that my message at your funeral would be the same for every one of you. And that it wouldn't be how well you started, and it wouldn't be what you gave, but it would simply be this. He, she, they endured till the end. They held firm the faith. They, they walked by faith and not by sight. They, they held fast to the gospel in, in those last days as they were suffering as they were hurting, they, they held firm and they trusted and they were committed and they heeded the promise of Jesus Christ who said, those who endure till the end will be saved. Without endurance and perseverance, there is no salvation. The good news of the Gospel is if you are genuinely born again, you will endure. And how do we know who's born again? Those who endure till the end. And so our call is to heed this warning and to listen to it. And when we find ourselves creeping away from listening to God's Word to stop before we walk off the edge. And when we find ourselves twisting God's Word. Did God's words, did they really say when we start to make ourselves the exception clause to the command of God, warning, we're at the edge. And we need to be able to recognize the deceitfulness of sin. And the good news of the Gospel is we don't have to figure all this out by ourselves because we are to have the body of Christ to help us. 
and we are to encourage one another. But that's a two-sided scenario. We need to be open to that and we need to be willing to give that. But who have you lovingly confronted in their sin in the last week? The last month? The last year? But who has graciously come along your side and said, I need to warn you about this relationship you're in. I need to warn you about this, this business deal. I heard about it. I, 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 I don't think you're pleasing God here. Have you ever had those conversations? And perhaps the sad state of the church today is because so many of us have not. The call from God's word is we are to have them and we are to receive them and we are to heed the call of Christ. Verse 14, go back to there. He says, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the The good news of the gospel is you, you can have confidence in Christ. You, you can be securely rooted in Christ. But that confidence is not because of something you did 20 years ago. That confidence is because of what you're doing today, that you're trusting in Christ and you're holding firm to Christ and you're walking by faith in Christ. The good news of the gospel is if we're truly in Christ's hand and the Father's hand, no one can snatch us out of His hand. That, that we can know we have eternal life in Christ Jesus. But the warning is this. Do not be deceived into thinking your life and your actions and your faithfulness and your obedience. Don't be fooled into thinking those don't matter. Hold firm and hold fast. And when you see others in the body who aren't, pull them aside and encourage them. And when are we to do that? Today. So let's pray that we would do that.